Okay, we are in Ruth, chapter 4, and we had read last time about how Boaz had made a decision to redeem both the land and Ruth should be the one, the closest closest relative, not be able to or not have the means or not want to. And so let's pick it up from Ruth chapter 4, verse 4. So I thought to inform you, saying, but buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me and that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. So, Boaz was going to to, uh, yield to the closest relative. He was doing everything in legal order. He didn't just go after this woman and say, oh, come on, it's okay, you can just be my wife. He made sure everything was done in proper order. He called together the elders of the land. It was very much a part of the circle of authority, which we talked about last time, that that if we're thinking about a spouse, don't keep that just to yourself. Make it a topic of your parents. Make it a topic of, of the church that you're with and the group, because there is protection in that. There's protection being able to, to, uh, um, to give discernment on this. And it says that, that uh, uh, at first the closest relative said, yes, I'll redeem the land because he could redeem the land by buying it from Naomi. But remember, Deuteronomy 25, Leviticus 25. Those two passages talk about redemption of the land from a nearest relative and also raising up offspring from a brother whose wife has died. And neither Boaz nor this closest relative was a brother, so it wasn't absolutely required that they raise it up, but if they had the means, they could. And this closest relative says in verse 6, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. So as soon as he heard that it was going to involve also raising up offspring, raising up a child from Ruth, in the name of Malon, her former husband who had died, he knew he couldn't do that. And it wasn't that he was being mean about it. He said, it would jeopardize my own inheritance. He didn't have the means. Because what would happen then is he would redeem this land, but the land would automatically be to this offspring who was from Ruth, who was not going to be in his name. It was going to be in the name of Malon and Elimelech's line. And he didn't have the means. This was a very expensive thing. You had to take a wife into your home and you had to raise up a son whose land this was going to become and not part of your own. And plus, that son would get a portion of your own property as well. And so he physically could not afford it. And so he yielded this right to Boaz. And now in verse 7 it says, Now this was the custom 
in the former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from among his brothers or from the court of, of his birth. You are witnesses. You are, you are witnesses today. Okay, so in verse 7, remember, it's verse 7 that allows us to know that this book, Ruth, was written some time period after the events occurred. Because it says, back in former times, this is a custom they used to have, the exchange of sandals. If this had been written at that time, they wouldn't have to explain the custom. So this may have been written 50 or 100 or 150 years after... This, this act occurred. And then it says, so now Boaz is buying the land and he says to the elders in verse 9, you are witnesses today. Look what he does. Again and again, he brings witnesses into this thing. He had called together the elders of the land and in the city gate. Marriage is not a private issue. If you want to find somebody, run off and get married, you can certainly do that. But scripturally, it never has been a private issue. It is a matter of an issue of your family, of your close friends, and of the body of Christ, of the body of believers, of the congregation. It is a good thing. There is protection in that. When, when the Lord started working on my heart and, and I started feeling these, these affections for my wife, you know, I just every day I would think about her. Every day I would think about her. But I made it a part. I shared it with the pastor of the church. And he, in fact, spoke on my behalf to Shireen's family because her family was in the church too. And there was security in that. And then after some time period, some time that we had prayed, when we were all in agreement on this, this has given me great assurance in my marriage because all marriages have problems. All of them do. But in all the problems that I've had in my marriage over the almost 28 years that we've been married, coming from two different cultures and all the things that have gone on, never was divorce a question. Never did I question I've made a mistake. I've married the wrong person. Because there was so much that we had in the body of Christ of people testifying that they had prayed and they felt good about this. There was the pastor, there were the associate pastors. There was her family was very much involved in this. My family was involved in this. The body of Christ, the congregation, all were in agreement. It wasn't as if, you know, I've made up my mind, I need, you know, so I'm going to do this. I don't need anybody to, 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 uh, to confirm this or not. No, this became a part, a matter of the body of Christ. This is what you see here. Boaz says, you folks are witnesses. I will be a husband to this woman, Ruth. And we will raise up a child whose land this will become. This is a matter that is a communal matter. 
In the body of Christ, it has always been this way when it has been done in order. Now, you have every right to go out and do whatever you like. You can find somebody, but very often, from what I have seen, when a young person finds another young person that they want to marry, and they want to keep that away from their parents, and they want to keep this information away from the body of Christ, it's because they know that there's some problem here. It's because that they realize there's some problem in this relationship. And maybe the body of Christ won't support me in it. Therefore, why bring it up to the body of Christ? Because if young people bring somebody to me and to say, you know, this is somebody I'm thinking about, what I do is I interview the person. I just can't help it. I mean, I just do that. But the Bible says it's okay. It says, be ready to give a defense for the hope that dwells within you. So what I ask them is, tell me how you got saved. Is that a mean question? It's not a mean question. Tell me how you got saved. I want to hear that. I just want to hear the expression of that. I want to be sure that the person is saved. Because sometimes you ask the interview, yeah, 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 don't worry, they're saved. I want to, okay, if they're saved, then let, me, let them tell me about it. I just want to hear how they came to the Lord. And if they say, well, my whole family is Christian, I was born a Christian, I know that they're probably not saved. Because you're not born a Christian, you're born again a Christian. You're not born a Christian. Nobody is born a Christian. You may have been born a Christian in a Christian home, but it doesn't make you a Christian any more than being born in a garage doesn't make you a car. Being born in a barn doesn't make you a horse. So, all, this is all I want to do, is I want to ask them. Now, there are certain young women that have been like daughters to me that I've been very close to. And they have found young men and they asked me, would you really check the guy out? I say, sure, I'd be glad to. And then I just questioned the young man in a very nice and calm voice, but part of it is to see their expression. Part of it is to see, you know, what's being dealt with here. And so one young, man, one young lady had emailed me that she was on the mission field. She met this guy and he seemed so nice and, and he wanted to pursue a relationship. She said, would you talk to him on the phone and interview him and just check him out, make sure it's, it, 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 it'll be all right. And I, and I had, this young lady was like a daughter to me. And so I said, okay, I can check him out. And in fact, there was a young man a year and a half before that that was interested in her. And when I went checking him out, it turned out that he had been married, yet he said it had been annulled. I mean, it can get really flaky. And he had and it turned out he had, a, he had been in jail and he had a prison record. And all of this, she never knew. Because people don't generally ask this of one another. And that's what I'm here for. You know, I just ask them. So, anyway, this young man calls me on the phone and I asked him a lot of questions. And, in fact, I asked him quite deep questions. Things that, part of it was to understand how he would react. I'll give you an example of some of the things that I asked. Remember, this girl was like a daughter to me. I asked him if, if he had ever had sex with a woman in the last five years. I asked him if he had ever had sex with a man in the last five years. I asked him if he was into pornography. When was the last time he looked into pornography? On his computer or in magazines. And I asked him to tell me about his family and the relationships in his home. You know, he and I, through that time, became knitted so well together. And just by the way he would answer me, 
And by the civility of his response, I knew this was a quality young man that she had met on the mission field. And then, then uh, uh, I talked to her later on that week and I said, this guy is really a good guy. Don't let him go. He is a good guy. And that gave her this tremendous level of confidence. And so, you know, they've been married now and they're... they're They were on the mission field together. They came back on furlough. They're going back to the mission field in a few months. And you see the relationship that was built. But it wasn't that, you you know, I just... You think this is easy to ask people? It's not. The easiest thing to do is to ask nothing. The easiest thing to do is to to shake their hand and say, Oh, okay. Seems all right. That's the easiest thing to do. The hardest thing to do is to... Check out relationships. There was the witness of the body of Christ. This is what you see here. There was the witness of the congregation. They had this witness going on. So if you ever meet somebody and you want them checked out, just let me know. And if you want to really release me to check them out. But let me ask you a question. Young ladies, if you were getting interested in a young man, would you like to know whether he was frequenting pornography? Would you like to know that? Is that something you'd like to know? If he was into pornography, or would you rather not know? It'd be good to know, wouldn't it? Because I'll tell you, if a young man is in pornography and you end up getting married, you're going to be quite, quite surprised in your marriage and quite shaken up. And it's going to have a rough time. It's a good thing to know. If this young man that you're, you're having a relationship with, or thinking of, of developing a relationship with, that has been sleeping around with other young women or young men, wouldn't you like to know that? And part of the response is you say, well, they may lie. They might. But generally, you take them so off guard with these questions that you can see by the reaction what they're really like. Okay, so let's read on in verse 11. And all the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. There it is. All the people said, we are witnesses. Marriage is something you do before witnesses. I made a promise to my wife before God and before 400 people in a church. That's what I did. And I believe that God was watching and people were watching and before witnesses, I said that I would be with her and she with me until death do we part. Until one of us dies. That, and that promise I made before others. You see... If you just go out and do this secretly and quietly, there is no promise here. There is no group of witnesses. And so I take it very strongly when the Bible says that if you divorce a woman, you cause her to commit adultery. When the Bible says that, that, uh, uh, that, that the mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit and those who are cursed of the Lord fall into it. I take that very seriously. These are strong words. I don't want to be cursed of the Lord. I take my marriage covenant seriously. It was before a group of witnesses. This is why marriage and relationships are not a private matter in the body of Christ. They can be if you want it that way. But it was never intended to be and you don't have then the security of the testimony of others. To affirm this relationship. 
or to warn you in this relationship. Because a lot of times what's happened is there's so much chemicals running through the hearts and minds of young people when a relationship occurs that we become blinded. I am telling you, blinded. You know, you see one woman, your heart starts pounding. You're like, this is it. Well, did you realize that she doesn't know the Lord? Did you realize that this and this and this in her life? No, because you don't see it. You need the testimony of the body of Christ. You need the testimony of of parents. Parents see more in children than than we give them credit for. They see more in their own children. You want to have your parents' blessing. It is an important thing. May the Lord, in verse 11, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Look at this blessing. This is what the congregation, what the body of Christ can give you. Look at the blessing. They prayed over him. May this woman who's coming into your house be like Rachel and Leah. The ones who bore the twelve sons that populated Israel. The twelve tribes of Israel. May they be like Rachel, the one who was loved and had two children. And like Leah, the one who had ten sons. Plus a a daughter. May, May she be like this. And may you become famous in Bethlehem. The blessing of the body of Christ. Don't negate that. Don't disregard the relationship that comes. Be members of a local body of Christ and take that and value it. Verse 12, Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez who Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring with which the Lord will give you by the young woman. So again, Perez was Boaz's great-great-grandfather. May he be fruitful like this. And in verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. So Boaz took Ruth. It was only after he had the blessing of the congregation, this thing had been done in a right way, only then did he have the physical relationship with her. This is the proper order in Scripture. And as we had discussed a couple of weeks ago, you go climbing all over a young woman, you won't be able to stop. And women, you go and you allow allow a young man to climb all over you, you won't be able to stop. You don't want to do this when it raises a false hope because you can't go far enough. So when it moves you to this degree of passion, it has to stop. And we talked a few weeks ago, where is that line? Very specifically, we talked about that. And if you didn't hear it, it's online now. But it says, the Lord enabled her to conceive. This is very unusual words. Usually it says, and he went into her and she conceived. This is, the Lord enabled her to conceive. Remember, she was married to Malon for some time. And there was no conception. They had never had a child. The Lord did something miraculous by opening up her womb. And she gave birth to a son. And says, The women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord, who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may His name become famous in Israel. Look, now Naomi is getting the blessing of the congregation. This is a good thing. It's great to be part of a local church that prays over you when you get married. 
to have the testimony of believers, of people praying for you. That when you have a child, you bring them up front to a body of believers that know you. And pray for that child. All of my children, they were born, we dedicated them in front of the body of Christ and they prayed for my children. I wanted that blessing for them. You want good for your children, you do this. Don't be selfish with your lives. These are shared in the body of Christ. It says, then they blessed her. They said, blessed are you of the Lord. You've not been without a Redeemer. Look, this Ruth, who was herself redeemed into Israel, has now been the source through which redemption comes. This is what happens. This can be the source through which redemption comes. You get redeemed and you become the Redeemer to others. May He also be a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to Him. Look at the relationship. This is a good thing to have a relationship with your mother-in-law. To have relationships with your parents-in-law. It's a good and a blessed thing. And if you start the thing out with controversy, it's hard to rebuild that and to rekindle it. Let it start where you submit this relationship to parents so you have the blessing of parents. You want that. You don't want to have to go and not have the blessing of parents and the blessing of the body of Christ. You want to have these sort of things when you go forward. It says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. This word nurse doesn't mean that she nursed him, but that she cared for him. Ruth, committed this child even to Naomi. Because remember, Naomi had the right to, first right to Boaz because she was the older and Boaz was a much older man. But she yielded this to Ruth and Ruth then yielded the son back. And the neighbor women gave, gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Oded. And he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Very unusual, the women, the friends of Naomi, the family and friends of Naomi named that child. Ruth didn't name him. Boaz didn't name him. Naomi didn't name him. It says the neighbor women named him Oded, which means servant. They named him Oded. You see how much of a relationship she had with the community. This is a good thing and something that young people often do not appreciate. The depth of community that there should be in the body of Christ. The depth of friendship that there should be. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez were born Hezron. To Hezron was born Ram. To Ram, Abinadab. To Abinadab was born Nashon. To Nashon, Salmon. To Salbon was born Boaz, and to Boaz, Oded. And, Oded to, and to Oded was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. This was the Messianic line. This is the blessing that Ruth brought in as a Moabite. She received blessing, and she gave back blessing. And she became part of this line. Think about this man, Boaz. Why was he so compassionate to this woman, to this Moabite woman, who was a foreigner who came in the land and readily he befriended her. He was kind to her. He said, come in my field and glean here in my field. 
Why was he so sensitive to these people? And he was giving up of his to raise up offspring for another, which he didn't have to do. Why was Boaz? Why did Boaz have this affection for people that were from a foreign land and had come in? Well, he really respected her after she had given up so much. Back in Ruth chapter 2, he had said to her in verse 11, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and you came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward you for your work and may your wages be full in the Lord. He realized, Boaz realized, what are the precious and good things in life? Many of us don't realize what are the good things in life and we pass it by. And we get damaged and hurt for it. He realized what are the good things. He said, you took care of your mother-in-law when you didn't have to, when your husband died. And you left your own father and mother and you left the land of your birth and you've come to a people that you did not previously know. You've come under the shelter of the God of Israel. Because he says in verse 12, May the Lord reward your work. May your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. You came into the land to seek refuge from the God of Israel. May your wages be full and may you be blessed. He knew that this was a giving woman. He had eyes to see it and to recognize it and he extended compassion to her. Look in that genealogy that we read. Who was Boaz's father? Who was Boaz's father? What does it say? Salmon. Look in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus through Mary. Matthew chapter 1. You see the genealogy of Jesus. And in this genealogy, we're given this amazing word. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Oded. Boaz's mother was Rahab the harlot. Boaz's mother was Rahab. Remember the woman. And it talks about her in Joshua chapter 2. She was the woman in Jericho who welcomed in the spies. She was a prostitute. These two men go up into a room. Didn't look unusual at all because she was a prostitute. Always called her Rahab, the prostitute. And she made an agreement with these men. She said, when you take this land, I will let you go and I won't tell the king on you. But remember me and my family, my father's household. And she brought in her mother and her father and her sisters and her brothers and all of her family. And she hung the scarlet cord out. And all the walls around Jericho collapsed except that part of the wall. It says her window overlooked what was over the wall. And she had let the man down by that. She was a prostitute. And it says in Joshua, she lived in the land of Israel from that day. It was never easy. Again and again, the Bible refers to her as Rahab, the prostitute. This Rahab, the prostitute, apparently gave up her prostitution married a man of a great lineage named Salmon. They had a baby named Boaz. Imagine what Boaz grew up with. Oh, your mother's Rahab the prostitute? She wasn't of the, of the nation of Israel. She was one of the women in the genealogy of, 
in the genealogy of Jesus, along with Ruth, who were Gentile women. All of these women that are noted in the, in the genealogy of Jesus up to Mary were Gentile women. Imagine what he grew up with. Imagine the stigma. What's the stigma today? If, if your mother has had five husbands, what do you think you grow up with as a child? And people know that and they look at you differently. If your mother had been a prostitute, you say, well, she's not a prostitute. No, but she grew up as a prostitute. There's a lot of talk and a lot of abuse. I bet people teased Boaz that we don't really even know who your father is. We know it's Salmon. The amazing thing is, those who grow up with pain are able to extend love like no one else. Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. This gets right back to the principle that God is able to take our weakest areas and make it our greatest strengths. Our weakest areas and make it our greatest strengths. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, and we're going to close out with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me start reading from verse 8. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that, he might, that it might leave me. And he said to me, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong." So look what God says to him. Paul has this affliction in his flesh and he asks God three times to deliver him. And God says, My grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. My power is perfected in your weakness. These weakest areas, God is going to perfect through. Boaz grew up with this great stigma that his mother had been a prostitute, a harlot. And everybody knew that. This was a man who knew how to display love to a foreign woman and to love her and to care for her and recognize the treasure in her. The hurts that we have in life, the pains that we have gone through, the insecurities that we have can become our greatest strengths. The low self-esteem that we have can become our greatest strengths and compassion toward others. If you have a physical deformity, that can sometimes become your greatest strength in showing compassion to others. Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you have risen from a place where God takes your greatest weakness, whatever that is, your inability to speak, your inability to do something that everyone else seems to be able to do so easily, He can take that 
you give that to Him and He can make that your greatest strength. So much so that you can end up redeeming others through this, your strength. Boaz became a redeemer. Raised up through Ruth, a redeemer. Oded. Ruth herself became a redeemer through the life of Boaz reaching out to her. This is what you can do. This is the beauty of this passage, of this book, that God takes the weak and makes them strong. Boaz, it says, was a very wealthy man. But we don't learn until the New Testament that Boaz was the son of Rahab, the harlot. God can take your greatest weakness and turn it around and make a tremendous strength out of it. So if you feel that you're weak and inadequate in a certain way, God says, fine, commit that to me. And your greatest weakness can turn out to be your redeeming strength. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the truth of Your Word. Father, thank You that through Jesus Christ, Your grace is sufficient for us in our weakness. That You can take the hurts from the past and make them our most redeeming strengths. Father, thank You for that testimony. Lord, I pray for these young people that you would take their weaknesses and build redeeming strengths. That you would take their relationships that they would have and cause those to be ordered according to the ways of God. That they would learn to submit these to others, to the body of Christ, to hear your word in them. That there may be a good and a proper witness Father, let them not be conformed to this world, but let them be transformed by the power of your Spirit to walk according to your way. Father, I pray for them that they would have good lives and good relationships and that the blessing of God would work through them. Your mercies and grace be upon them, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.